Welcome to Back in America, the podcast. You are listening to the third installment of Back in America. In this podcast, I explore unique, amazing American stories from my multicultural perspective. This episode is part of a series on masculinity in America. Here, I speak to Robert Kendall, an author and coach. I met Robert in New York as he was promoting his book, Unhidden. Here is Robert talking about his own personal challenges and how it prompted him to work on masculinity. Total workaholic, overweight, disconnected from my wife, who I really didn't know on a lot of things, and just any semblance of my childhood dreams had been wiped away. I was living really my father's dream more than my own. And I had some significant experiences with my first wife, Carol. And we just started to tell the truth about our relationship, our sex life, all the things that people don't tend to speak about. Mm -hmm. Then we came back to San Francisco, started to explore. And I took my first workshop on sexuality in uh, March 20th, 1999. And in that moment, I made a total fool of myself. I was very much out of my element and I was nervous and I pushed down all my nervousness and covering it was arrogance, Mm. trying to look good and cool, but really scared underneath it. Was it uh, co-ed or was it? It was co-ed, definitely co-ed. A lot of attractive women in the circle. My wife, it was a workshop on sexuality all the repressed feelings were With your partner, bubbling. Yeah. So we're doing introductions and I speak for a couple moment, couple minutes. And then what happened was I thought I was brilliant. I thought I was eloquent. Uh, I thought the teacher was gonna invite me to come up and teach with him. Instead he said, hey, do you know your wife's crying? And she was sitting right next to me and I had no awareness of her. All my attention was on myself. And I, uh, she was just crying and I was shocked. And then the teacher did the most intense thing. He said, okay, who's next? And I was sat in the burn for two more hours, not be able to talk to Carol, console her, get her approval. And instead I had to sit with the burn of that experience. So I had two choices. One was to sit, get up and leave. And then one was to stay and learn. And I chose the latter. And that led me down this incredible path I've been going on for 20 years. Which is everything from your coaching to writing to... I started else? doing personal development work. That's what you started with? Right. And then okay. 2004... So did you take a training to become many a coach? trainings. No, well, it's a circuitous process. So in the beginning, I was just a student of myself uh, and taking workshops intense workshops, $20,000 workshops to find out about myself and my sexuality. And then in 2004, co-founded an organization called One Taste, 
which taught about relationships, intimacy, communication, and sexuality, and did that for, in that program, I learned how to be a teacher, a coach. I would learn how to be a CFO, a COO, the whole, you know, baptism was, by fire. Was it a bit scary at first? I mean, did you wing it or? Total wing it, <laughs> especially the teaching and the coaching part. Did he walk from the start or was it tough no, at first? No, it was, we, we, it actually took eight years for us to turn a profit because we were building. We is? Myself and my business partner, a woman. So in that is where I learned to teach. Taught over 400 workshops, 10,000 students, and then left in 2014, totally burnt out, totally fried, went to Los Angeles, Venice Beach, California, and just started anew. And since then, in the last five years, built my own business in one taste, It was a woman-run organization. Mm -hmm. And it was more than a business. It was a community. It was an intentional community. And unlike in the world where men kind of call the shots or play, you know, run the show, women, without question, run the show of this little subculture mm. that we lived in. In that... Uh, men were getting their butts kicked because we were so used to being outside that subculture in the world. And at the same time, uh, didn't know how to interact where women were in charge. So the men started to bond together in a form of survival on some level because we were getting our butts kicked mm. by the women. And what happened was something beautiful. Instead of being competitors, we looked to the other men as allies. We saw the other men as, um, you know, s s other soldiers we could lean on. And in that, I, I had the deepest, richest relationship with men that I ever had. Then we started teaching men's workshops out of that concept. And I taught probably 30 maybe in 40 men's workshop over. Within One Taste? One Taste, yeah, okay. under One Taste's banner. And I just loved it. I loved being in a room of 40 strangers, 100 strangers at the beginning. At the end, we all felt like brothers mm. because men are not taught to look to other men for help. We're taught to be strong and stoic and handle it mm -hmm. and to teach brotherhood and was really important. Uh, I think there's a very large cultural divide. Mm -hmm. I think on one end of the bell curve, there are men really seeing that they need to do the work and want to learn and studying. And then there's the other end of the spectrum that will doesn't believe they ever need to do any work. There's something, there's no problem. And then there's the middle bell curve, which is the majority of men know something's wrong, but either won't feel it, to your point, confront it, or won't do any work around it. Mm. My work is to get to those guys. Right, and and that brings me to that question, which is, in, to, what top characteristics do you see in the men that come to you and say, hey, help me out? There's either two sides. They're either totally desperate in terms of, I can't find a partner. I was just talking to this guy 
and he lives in Oklahoma City. He's like, I'm just giving up. I'm going to order a mail order bride. Like, that's where he's going. He's looking in Croatia, and yeah. he's like, I just can't date. I mean, so that's one level. It's just guys giving up. Uh, they have porn addictions. They can't sustain a relationship. They just know there's something else, and so they come to me. The second tends to be uh, men who are inspired, who have someone in their life, uh, a coach or a teacher or a woman friend, who basically just said, hey, you're better than this. And they're like, okay, I can be better than this. And then they seek me out or hear my podcast or read my writing. Those are the two extremes usually tend to be. And I get a lot more on the desperation side than the inspiration side. Do they feel bad when they come to you? Do they, they feel weak in some way? Beaten, frustrated, lost, confused. I saw, I mean, you've got one video where you go, I think it's, you know, break the armor or something yeah. like that. Where you go like full fledged on a poor guy. Yeah. Is that That's your, my style, yeah. Your style? Yeah, my podcast is called Tough Love. Okay. T-U-F-F love for a reason. So you beat the guy down and then you pick him up? Yeah, he was particularly stubborn. It doesn't have to go that hard, but sometimes it does. I mean, that's how hard it, they had to hit me when I was a student. Like, mm. I had the same... Really? Okay. The same walls and the same ego-enforced belief systems. It really took a lot of force to break the wall for me to see how much I didn't know. So, yeah. So, I mean, I my VIP client, I just... So much truth. Boom, 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 boom. But that's what's missing. So what do you think makes toxic masculinity toxic? I think it's a men disconnecting from their feeling body, their sensing body, also known as their emotional body. And I think a lot of men, toxic masculinity is someone who's disconnected from their empathy and their feeling. Because a man who feels and is empathetic doesn't tend to act in toxic natures because he knows he's hurting another. Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know a lot about him. Not a lot about, yeah. Harvey Weinstein, he's a... Yeah, I mean, the Me Too movement. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a classic guy, totally disconnected from his emotional body. Is he sociopathic? I don't, I'm not a doctor. I can't, you know, I've, I've never examined him. But it feels like he's disconnected. To do what he did to women with no recourse is, so that's the definition of toxic masculinity to me. What about, so would you say that there are aspects of masculinity which are good and that men should try to preserve or foster? Oh, absolutely. Which yeah. would be what? Um, in my definition of masculinity, so everyone has what I call a masculine-feminine ratio, a mix of masculine and feminine. So every person, no matter what gender. So your masculine side is your production, your power, your forward motion, your linear nature, um, your strength. 
your feminine side is more your receptivity, the beauty. And so, like I said, everyone has a ratio. So masculine in its optimized form is one where it uh, is connective, is connected to the feminine. So strength with empathy, presence with sensing. So it's, it's a time where you're not fully in your masculine, you're connected to another human being. So basically, those characteristics are not just mainly, right? They are people, genderless. Right, right. And, and, and a woman would have the same, sure. just slightly different. And you can switch according to oh, yeah. where you are in your life. Right. If you are in crisis mode, then yeah. the strength. And yeah. You agree with that? Oh, totally. And there's a lot more. There's a lot of women I know who are more masculine than I am. We meet them. It's not bad or good. It's just, you know, where okay. you are in your goal. What would you say to men reading my story? What would you like them to to know about, you know, their masculinity? The first thing is, if their life is not as perfect as they want, as optimized as they want, there is a way to continually improve your life. Like we all know we can go to the gym and get in better shape. It's the same thing with relationship. A lot of men don't think there's a way out of where they are. And I can tell you after working with thousands and thousands of men, there's always a way to make your life better, mm. if not amazing. But you do have to work at it and build a practice. The second thing I would say is you're not alone. I think the hardest thing is men think they're the only one with that affliction, but truly there are millions, if not billions of men suffering alongside of you. And if you're willing to be transparent, be vulnerable, ask for help to connect, to find other men, there's a way that together as allies, you can up-level your life. Okay. If you don't mind, I might have two more questions. Please. How do you feel? So a lot of the workshops you conduct are men-only workshops. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about association which are men-only? Does it is it negative, positive? Does it matter? Um, you know, fraternities, uh, Freemasonries, all the stuff which are really men-only. I think can it have a negative impact? Oh, or do you think it? Yeah, it, it's the intention of the group. So I think men-only groups are so important okay. and so powerful. And like I've grown so much in presence of men. Like any system, though, with bad intentions, fraternities, you, you know, if the fraternity gets disconnected from their empathy or their caring, the toxic masculinity can amplify. Mm -hmm. So it's any, yeah, any system gone askew can mm. be dangerous. To learn more about Robert Kendall, go to robertkendall.com. <laughs>